Today, all over the world, there are thousands of Sino-Soviet intelligence agents with money to burn, looking for unsuspecting targets for exploitation among members of our forces. This part's going to be a little different because Cole's not here today, but it's just me and Matt, and um, we're going to be talking about a few things, but I think the first thing we need to talk about is the um, unexpected and quick passing of comrade Michael Brooks. Yeah, he. Um, <clears throat> what I saw, I, I texted you guys, that he passed away uh, during the night over some complications. I'm not sure what he, he had some type of illness and I'm not sure exactly what it was, but the, the report according to um, what show is he? He's on Sam Cedar, right? Is that what yeah. The majority is? report. Yeah. He's on the majority report and Sam Cedar posted this picture of, I think it was like some, I think it was a, a, a professor or something or, or some, someone who said that he's friends with Michael Brooks. And he said that, Michael Brooks passed away due to due to complications with an illness he's been battling for like ever. So I don't know what that illness was, but he just he was he was he looked. I mean, looks can be deceiving, but um, from other posts I was seeing, he he recorded a video like that night, so he was still like, you know, alive until. Yeah, I mean, it just shows how like out of the blue and no one could have seen this coming. Um, He's only twelve years older than I am. So. Yeah, he's, he was thirty. Yeah. So, um, well, he's thirty-seven. Oh, he was okay. Yeah. So he was nineteen eighty-two to twenty twenty. So he was he was either just just turned thirty-seven or was fixing to turn thirty-seven. But uh, uh, still ridiculously young. Yeah. Um, so we'll find out in the next few days. I think what he actually died from. But I mean, twenty twenty might. I mean, if it wasn't the worst year ever already, like this is just the cherry on top that, you know, one of the biggest voices in like leftist media is dead. Um, and he was like he was good friends with the Brazilian ex-Brazilian president Lula. He brought a lot of like South American issues to light. He was friends with Dr. Cornell West and mm -hmm. he was, you know, one of my main sources of news during the Bernie Sanders campaign and. Um, definitely like an encouraging and insightful force that we really needed online. And, you know, these like you might be like, well, he just he just did like a YouTube show or whatever. But like uh, without people like Michael Brooks and Sam Cedar doing those shows, I mean, the only like news media we we would have is like CNBC and MSNBC. And, um, you know, having someone a news source on YouTube is invaluable to us just having a having yeah. a leftist news source of anything is mm -hmm. just in, invaluable because you know like we in america typically the uh news sources are um you know center center right so or you know even far right wing so when you have like a like a leftist analysis or a leftist news show it kind of um you know it's worthy towards the uh political project you know it's a that's something and also michael brooks um so i, I didn't watch a lot of his videos but like I said, uh, like I said on Twitter earlier, I think Michael Brooks was instrumental in like in like your transition, right? Because I remember you transit, yeah, your transition to a leftist because you were saying that like you watched him all the time, and I remember when it first started happening, you started watching him and Sam Cedar. Mm -hmm. um, whereas like before, and and you know I was in the same boat where you would watch like you could watch like Jordan Peterson, or you watch Rogan or, or something like along those lines. 
Um, you weren't, I don't think you were never in like Dave Rubin or anything like that. I don't think. Yeah. So, so just those mild, uh, you know, right wing type news programs, Sam Cedar and, um, both Michael Brooks are really good at, uh, uh, kind of drawing you away from those types of things because I, he, he, um, you know, he, he's, he's a comrade that definitely like, uh, is more palatable than the like the dirtbag leftist people who are probably more grating and way more palatable than the the fucking liberal like bread tube type people um so when you're like in that transitionary period between you know being either like a shit lib or like a conservative or what whatever you you classified yourself as or you classify yourself as now um, he's, he's kind of like that pivotal, um, he, he's, he's a communism that, or in, in socialism that is like easily digestible and he makes it easily digestible, which is something that's for me that I found when speaking to, just when speaking to people, speaking to friends and family is actually extremely hard to do, um, is to make this, this type of theory and this type of, um, this type of living seem possible and even preferable and and just like yeah preferable in the fact that he shows the logic behind it in such a uh, such a clear way and like everybody who's put out messages about michael brooks in the past 24 hours has said you know he's like one of the most intelligent people i know i've known and and the true mark of intelligence is like being able to like explain to the common person these high-level ideas that they might not have the time to uh, read about. Um, and so having that source on YouTube, you know, I think, like, he, between the Michael Brooks show and the Majority Report, you know, those were, like, daily videos that he put out. I mean, I don't even know how many hours of content he put on YouTube. And it's going to be surreal going back and seeing those because those videos still pop up in my timeline. So gonna be surreal going back and watching those with michael knowing he's he's gone um but yeah you're totally right like not just in my life but in many many people's lives like like getting people in america to accept like leftist ideas having someone like michael brooks is invaluable to that because he helps guide you along and i i think you can just go through like comment after comment on twitter but people saying like he helped me you don't learn about these leftist ideas and and obviously like a lot of people even if you know like what ben shapiro and dave rubin if you know it's stupid you might not be able to put like your finger on it and you definitely probably don't have like the policy analysis to to be like okay this is why it's wrong and he, he would do him and sam cedar did, did a great job tag teaming of like okay we here's why it's wrong and stupid and um, not just like saying something's stupid. They would actually give a reason. So, you know, rest in peace, man. Um, and hopefully there will be a lot more Michael Brooks popping up in the young, our generation, you know, a little bit younger than him. What the, 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 the question though is also like, what the fuck is Ruben going to do now? Because like in the, like the, the notion of that, you define yourself by your, 
your opposite by the like right the protagonist is defined by the antagonist right and this and i guess in this case would be what is the antagonist going to do now that the protagonist is gone like he's, he's gonna is is dave rubin gonna like throw himself off a bridge because he's secretly like you know love michael brooks because I, I know those two butted heads a lot so so uh yeah i well, think uh thankfully sam cedar will st- will keep the torch going yeah and uh keep dunking on Ruben. to keep the lights lit to keep the mm-hmm. monsters at bay yeah um i i wanted to say real quick also that uh, i think um because he he's trending on twitter not just in the u.s but in brazil and in a couple places in south america i think one of the the best impacts that he had was talking about the global south and how the the, the global south was constantly exploited and like you said he was very important in terms of uh, like correspondence with what was going on and what is going on in South America in terms of, uh, you know, the, the more right wing fanaticism that's rising in the ter- the, in the the open hostility that the U.S. empire has towards, uh, you know, d- democratically elected communist leaders in South America and has always had for that. So I think and then. Brooks was important in in that regard, but also he's important because he's one of the few people that, and this is very, this is a, a point of, of Marx that isn't talked about at all. But he's one of the few people that talk about the international building of the proletarian, right? So, uh, you know, there's a thought process of like, um, there's a there's St- Stalin, right, which is like socialism in one country, and then there's like Trotsky, which is constant revolution, and then there's Mao, which is like you know, third world communism and first world communism. But the biggest thing is like, like if you're a Marxist is like the, you, you need to take like the international proletarian and, and form a, a, you know, a, like a revolutionary vanguard that is ha- it. Cause we live in a globalist society. So it's like, and is international, like an international movement would be uh, beneficial against like the the inter- the already international bourgeoisie. So and then Michael Brooks was was pivotal in bringing the uh, international proletariat to the forefront. Absolutely, you know, anytime I needed to like, especially during the Bolivian coup, mm-hmm. um, he was instrumental in that. And then, you know, just like he kind of he knew or talked to everybody in that YouTube sphere, like. He worked a lot with the Young Turks. Like, you might not like their politics or what they have to say, but, like, he was really good friends with Anna Kasparian. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that then, other guy's kind of a fuck fucktard. What's his name? Sink. Cenk Uger. Uger, Wager, whatever, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, regardless, you can just see the impact he made in the YouTube sphere and, like, pushing YouTube even further left and, and making, you know, not, not quite mainstream, but just making it more popular than it was, and that's... If super important, if he if he if he touched, which I already know, like from like empirical evidence that he did, if he if he swayed one fucking person, then he already did his job way better than most people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think that he I think regardless of whether he had like Tucker Carlson number of views or whatever, I think he was a, a great. Uh, yeah, he's a uh, you could say like the people for some reason, conservatives like to say like, oh, college is what. College professors is what radicalizes our youth, like all these Marxists at colleges. And it's like, right. no, pro- Michael Brooks probably radicalized more people than any college professor. Yeah. It's like Dr. Richard Wolf or something like that. Yeah. And it's it's like, 
yeah, I, I really I want to go to the universities that they're always talking about. I wish I could find one, but I, I still I've been searching. You yeah, know. Uh, like like your boy Jizek said, um, where are these postmodern neo Marxists you talk about? Like I like that Jizek. I like I like the the <laughs> little Jesus reference there. Jizek. <laughs> um, yeah, where are they? Uh, yeah, and he was also. Um, he was also dunking on. He loved to dunk on uh, Ben Shapiro and, and show how much of a fucking stupid ass, dumbass that dude was. Um, which I think, like, so rest in power, King. Um, you're in a better place than 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 we are, regardless of where you are. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think we need to. So 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 we'll keep keep an update on that on on if if anything comes out about like what he actually was suffering from. But I think we need to to move on to. Uh, Talking about Ben Shapiro, here's a little segue. Uh, let's talk about the uh, Portland, the things that are going on in Portland currently. Yeah, so we, we love to talk about the the neocon take of, of a, a, literally anything because it's so absurdist that uh, it's actually so – it's actually good that we have a Gestapo to take people off the streets. Right. Now, you've seen the Ben Shapiro clip. And I haven't. So you mind walking us through exactly what he's saying about Portland? So the only thing that I've seen so far, because I don't follow Ben Shapiro and I don't think anyone I follow does follow him. But the thing that I've seen like from screen grabs is that he was he was arguing with someone, which like, of course, he was arguing with someone. He's a classical like liberal in that regard. He has to debate people with facts and logic. And so his facts and logic go, uh, OK, well, like it's good that people are being disappeared by the federal Gestapo because um because those are protesters and those are those are protesters breaking the law, right? Which like it's hilarious because I find that this I find that this um coalition of like classical liberals, right? Like so so like Peterson, Rubin, Shapiro, right? They have these like post enlightenment ideals of like freedom and debate and like, you know, whatever. And it's kind of mixed with like the, like you said, like this neocon, um, you know, like uh, uh, either Judaism or Christianity or whatever. But it's hilarious because these people think that the best thing that you can do to be like a patriot is to like worship the founding fathers on this altar. But also like the law, the U.S. law is completely like, like uh, infallible. Like it can never fail, and uh, if someone is breaking the law, if a group of people are breaking the law, they deserve. Um, they don't just. They, the thing is, like, they don't just deserve what the law can dish out to them. They deserve like extra ju- judicial justice, which is what's happening in Portland. Because it, let's just say you are like a law and conservation type person, right? Let's just say that you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a Kantian or whatever, then. And, you know, you hold the law in this, like, almost religious regard. Well, they're not even following the law, right? Like, the, the federals are the ones that are breaking the law. The, the protesters, even if they're non-peaceful, which they seem to be pretty peaceful, but even let's just say that they're not peaceful. Like, like they're actually committing crimes, you know? Right. It, it doesn't automatically negate the fact that, like, they shouldn't be disappeared by Gestapo, you know? And that's the thing, like, these people will praise again they'll praise the founding fathers but like the the founding fathers were the the you know the 1776 equivalent of what's happening today they're fighting against like this 
perceive like I'm saying perceived in terms of the founding fathers, not perceived now, mm-hmm. but this perceived tyranny of the British crown. Right. So they were they were revolutionaries. And, and I, I made this distinction to a friend. And I actually I was so happy that I changed her mind. She's kind of, she's conservative. And I said that uh, the difference between a revolutionary and a terrorist is w- who writes the textbooks. Right. So in America, the founding fathers were revolutionaries, but in, in England, they were terrorists. Right. Versus like now it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> Muslims or, or, or Antifa are terrorists. Whereas like, you know, if if tomorrow Antifa and <laughs> the, the Islamic caliphate combined with Antifa were to throw over the uh U.S. government, then they would be revolutionaries, like in future textbooks. It's it's a, it's an interesting like um, it's a, it, Ben Shapiro in that tweet gave us an interesting look into conservative like double think. Well, there's also so if you're unaware, uh, the reason we're talking about this is that protesters have been uh, much like the Hong Kong protests, like people have been disappearing, um, and we have video footage of protesters being taken in unmarked vans by federal agents to undisclosed locations and then questioned and their reasoning for doing so regard they don't have any reason you know yeah it's extra it's it's extra judicial yeah it's it's above it's not just the law it's above and beyond the law and outside of it and so it's it's important that this is brought to light because conservatives like matt said love to talk about the law and worship it but that's really just a veil for them saying like we want anybody basically anyone who disagrees with them they're fine if they disappear um and you see this in anti-socialist rhetoric but you especially see this in terrorist rhetoric rhetoric like towards just middle eastern people in general which it's not even it doesn't matter if they're actually a part of al-qaeda it's just if they're brown and middle eastern then they deserve uh and people conservatives are drawing parallels between the treatment of these protesters and al-qaeda saying well this is antifa so they're a terrorist organization and remember what we did to al-qaeda like why shouldn't we do it to them and, and because it doesn't shows, work we one it doesn't work but also we we live in this post 9-11 world where anybody who we deem a threat automatically deserves some unequal treatment they deserve to be like actually tortured and killed um and someone posted a picture of like hey remember when we used to torture al-qaeda why haven't why have we stopped doing that to protesters because antifa is the new taliban or the new al-qaeda which people have been saying on the well, right well thanks to well thanks to uh george w bush right like i hate when people talk about donald trump as and this is why we, we harped on bernie the last episode uh bernie always is saying donald trump's the most dangerous president in u.s history but like bernie was in government when george w bush was president and george w bush in my in my dumbass opinion is the worst president we've ever had because of the patriot act and and so there is the reason why people I mean, they could say, you know, we should torture protesters. But the reason why, like, there's a legal precedent for the government torturing protesters is because of the Patriot Act. It doesn't matter if you're a citizen. Like, civil rights and civil liberties, according to the United States uh, government, doesn't matter in terms of uh, in defense of the homeland, right? In defense of the republic, your, your, your civil rights and your civil liberties don't matter anymore. So... 
these people who hold this this thought this is what's insane to me these people who hold these thoughts are constitutionalists right so they or claim to be they claim to be constitutionalists which we've discussed multiple times why you know obviously the constitution's just like a liberal document anyway you know it's it's got a lot of like liberal ideals in it and it's very flawed anyway but the biggest problem is uh, is that the the constitution like especially the bill of rights you know and, the, and all subsequent amendments they do provide a certain level some of them do provide a certain level of protection and again it's flawed but they provide a certain level of protection against like a a supposedly tyrannical government even though government always subverts that they say it's fine like it doesn't matter the constitution literally doesn't matter in most cases um but it's they can openly you know disappear protesters they can openly they could torture them if they wanted to and and the constant the supposed constitutionalists will say yeah it's fine because the 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 rule of law is just see they 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 confuse justice with law which is i think is one of the biggest um not not just justice but morality yes and 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 i well see they view justice as moral right they view they view justice as a uh a moral that is that you should strive towards, but then they also view law as justice. And it's again, it's interesting the conservative double think in this regard, where it's you know how did how did the Nazis how did how did normal German citizens not stop the Nazis, but at the same time they're cool with like Mexicans being put in cages and shit. Yeah, you could you could draw that parallel between many things. Like just look at the conservative reaction to the Hong Kong protests and and how much. China was denounced and ridiculed as, you know, terrible, terrible government and they're tyrannical, which is true. But then you look at your own country and it's like, well, we're doing the same exact thing and you guys are silent and or not even silent, but praising the actions of these federal agents and mm-hmm. I think that's a, Homeland Security. I think that's the key, too, is the not even silent, but you're praising them. I think that's the key. Statement. Yeah, it's, the, it's 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 ridiculous. Like you're you're saying this is good and this should not only happen, but happen more often, happen more often, happen more violently. That's the thing. Like also uh, these people will. Um, you know, you know, they think that so, so, so the, the, the Antifa subject, right. Is, is at once this liberal snowflake, but also this scary super soldier, right. They are, um, the people who need their safe spaces and cry about being trans or whatever. But then at the same time, they're, they're here to overthrow the government and you have this, I think you have this general like hysteria among conservatives and conservative thinkers. Um, you know, even should I'd say even liberals, honestly, you have this like hysteria of like, we need to defend the Republic because it's a crumbling like empire. Right. The, you know, it, the, the, the wild widespread public opinion on America is pretty negative. I would say if you look at like, general population you can find that most of most of the foreign wars like so like during 9-11 or right after 9-11 and like even before a lot of the foreign wars were like if they weren't popular they weren't as like protested right you could say vietnam was protested and the wars have always been protested but like to the extent of like the general public either a not caring or b being supportive of the u.s um they seem to be more in the support camp, right? Until 
post 9-11 when we're in Afghanistan and Iraq for forever and it wears on people and people you realize that there are no weapons of mass destruction there's no good reason why we're there we're just stealing oil is what it was you know to make the to make the people in Washington richer but people have started souring on America right like you have these like more mass like hands-off Venezuela like we shouldn't be in South America we shouldn't be in the Middle East like movements and what I think is happening is that these protesters represent the full realization of that sentiment which is America is actually the bad guy in 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 pretty much all situations I wouldn't say all situations but I'd say pretty much all situations America is the bad guy right it's the big the big bad and so these people who are conservatives who want to conserve, like want to keep the Republic, they say, well, we need to do everything, including like extrajudicial powers and including up, including torture and murder to stop these people who are trying to make, you know, who, who are the Brutus trying to, to kill the emperor, which is, you know, the, the Trump, right. Which is like this, this symbolic, uh, figurehead like the symbolic head of state you know so um but yeah just thinking about how much how how fucked up people's minds got during the iraq war it's quite ridiculous because i don't think like it's it's weird for us because we were literally kids yeah when it happened and so i feel like there's a whole generation that experienced the iraq war but you know that's older than us and they remember everything a lot clearer because i remember I, the hysteria i think that's a big i think that's a big theme among people of our age and a little bit older most people yeah i would say the hysteria was really there and it was maybe people nope most people aren't pro-war but they were like well at least this war has a good reason for it or something like that like yeah 11's the, the reason and they attacked america so that's why we need to be over there. But then now sitting here almost being retold the true history of the Iraq war. I'd be like, so why were we in any of these countries? It's like, oh, just for their natural resources. And it was a good excuse mm -hmm. like or seen as an excuse that could be work. And and the crazy part is like this wasn't just a Republican. This wasn't just Bush. This was the entire political system getting behind the same effort and saying, you know, this is actually a good thing. Like we need troops in the Middle East. And even to this day, we have Democrats saying, oh no, we need to keep troops in there. Like Trump trying to pull troops out. And then the Democrats being like, oh, actually they, that's not a good idea. We need to, we need to keep them there. So it's not just this Republican ideology or one sect of the Republican party. It's like the entire political system got behind this idea that the Iraq war was just and we need to do it and that's still perpetuated today so it's like burn it all like just get rid of the the whole thing because it's all tainted like it's all tainted with oil money so this is this is why i really wanted to record this week about uh talking about and i really wanted to talk about portland because i actually have a pretty interesting question that i've been thinking in my mind um so we're going to take that in just a minute but we'll tackle this first um so one of the first things that I saw about Portland was that I saw people going like, why aren't people talking about this? Right. Why, why, are, why isn't they, why isn't this like, I mean, it, it makes national news, but it's just like completely overlooked. Right. 
and it's kind of like the protests, right? Protests are still happening, but no one knows about them because they're just like not, they're not destroying shit anymore. Like that's, that's honestly, there's no coordination. They're not destroying stuff. No one cares about them anymore, In- including like not just news, but the news audience don't care about them anymore either. Well, in Portland, you have people being disappeared and you have some people talking about it and it's kind of like blown under the rug, like swept under the rug. But then you have like these people who are also like, why isn't no one talking about this? Which is, it's kind of interesting because one of the first things that I saw about it was they, they said, I think that Trump isn't going to concede like if he gets if he's defeated in November, I don't think he's going to concede, you know, the presidency. And I think we'll be fine with it because the 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 riot or the, the protests that are happening in Portland are almost like a social experiment where they're seeing like how far they can push like government like tyranny and people are like support, like they're fine with that. Either people don't care. They're fine with it. And there's not that many people talking about it. And it's like, why? And, and the guy is like, why aren't more people upset about this? Right. And it made me think about it. And, and I've been in kind of a weird post post um, protest funk, I guess would be a good way of saying it. Is anger by itself without direction? Is it a good political project? So, for instance, anger can be utilized, right? We can say, okay, we're angry that the cops are killing minorities, right? Like disproportionately killing minorities. We can say we're angry that, uh, you know, we work for slave wages. We're angry that, um, you know, Jeff Bezos is becoming richer by the day. So you can say that, yes. But is it politically viable if you're just angry with no revolutionary action or even like even a like a drive towards discussion i don't think it is i think that when i read that i said well what do you want me to do right and it wasn't like the liberal or neoliberal like well the the capitalism's too big so we can't fight it it was the but my anger even though yes i am angry and you're saying why aren't people like why aren't more people angry? But like, what does that anger do? Because if there's if if everyone in the world was angry but they didn't do anything about it, then nothing would happen. Because the the state controls the guns, they control the police, they control every everything in that regard. So, what did did you do? You want people to go and protest like more people? Do you want people to go? you know, and get disappeared? Or do you want people to go with their guns and overthrow the government? Or what, what, what do you want? Like, what's the system here? And they, they don't have one. They just say, they said the sentiment, why aren't people angry? And I think that loops nicely into the, the, uh, uh, like Iraq war, right? Post nine 11. And it's anger without direction caused Americans to be fine with, the military invading the Middle East because there was no political goal. There was no, the only political goal was to acquire wealth. And so they directed that anger towards the invasion of the Middle East and people didn't look at it critically. Like there were people looking at it critically, but like the vast majority of the public didn't look at it critically. So I think that would be a, I also want to pose that question to you. Do you think that like anger in the in the pro anger towards the protests is a viable political option. 
Um, I mean, it's a start. It's like an infancy. And like anything, it has to grow out of that. It can't stay in that infancy forever. So like at the beginning, it was, you know, people kept criticizing the protesters like, why? What? What's your goal? Why are you even out there? And and like criticizing them for even going out. It's like, and people, a lot of I think the proper take was, well, it doesn't matter why they're out there. They're angry, and so they're expressing their anger through looting or just even peaceful protesting or whatever outlet they cause. But you know, what's the the next step? What's what's the you know toddler to maturing phase of this? And I you know we're still kind of in that. I don't know what that looks like i don't know um how that even works so i think it's i mean it's a you have to have anger you have to have emotion as like a motivating factor to begin anything Mm -hmm. but if that doesn't evolve like you said into direct action in some form or fashion then like what's it what's the point and um we've seen people get angry about a lot of things like i think if you talk to your average citizen they could give you like 10 things they're angry about about this country but there's no one giving them direction on how to express that and so i like what you said about the iraq war that it seems like bush and the republicans you know you gotta give them credit they always play their cards the perfect way like especially mitch mcconnell but especially george bush that they saw they saw an opportunity to hijack anger and use it for their own political goals. Mm-hmm. And so why can't... I think most political peoples have done that. Yeah. And so you, like, you've seen that people like to criticize, and this has come up a lot recently now that like hearkening back to the French Revolution has kind of come up of like, I saw a great graphic today. Uh, I forget if I sent it to you or not, but it's basically showing like wealth inequality in pre-revolution France versus wealth equality in America and how... In America today, there's actually greater wealth concentration in like the top 10% and 20% than there was in revolutionary France. And people mm-hmm. people in the mentions and, and retweets were like, well, um, the revolution actually was bad because we got Napoleon and it was a bourgeoisie revolution. Like it, mm-hmm. it started out and Cole's kind of explained this before where you know, it started out as just a general cry against um, just this enormous hoarding of wealth by the elites um, while people are starving in the streets. And then it got hijacked into this bourgeoisie revolution, which eventually became like it became a em- terror. Yeah, it became a terror and then an, and then an empire through Napoleon. Um I think the biggest problem, and I was listening to a podcast about this, and the biggest problem with the French Revolution in and of itself is that the French Revolution had ideals, but they never followed through with their ideals. So one of the things that like people praise about the – which is hilarious, right, because they didn't actually do this, but people praise about the American Revolution is that they when, – when, when America – when the Founding Fathers revolted – and then they uh, they sat down. They said, "This is what we want, right?" They kind of set it down to paper. And they you know handed it off, and they said, "That's that's our basis of government." But like they didn't necessarily follow through with the, those ideals, obviously, because not all men were created equal, right? They, when they met, when they said all men were created equal, they weren't including slaves or or women or any anything like that. Um, but France in in, in its revolution uh, had these ideas of like they said, okay, well we we want you know, justice and freedom and, and, and all this stuff. But then they never, 
they never went for it, right? They never they never set down anything like in in writing or, or in they they never had any any goal besides to overthrow the currently existing system. Yeah, just for anything else. They were like at this point, you know, we'll take literally anything else. Um, and it just kept getting hijacked by different people, and eventually, um, Napoleon benefited from that. Uh, right, and I think the French, I think the French wanted a in terms of the Re- French Revolution. I think they wanted a revolution in in. So it's um, who was it? Who said that? Robespierre. Yeah, Robespierre said that the French wanted a revolution without revolution. Yeah, they just wanted they wanted the the it was the like the bourgeoisie to, and the aristocrat basically like the merchants to overthrow the elites and they would become like the the democ- democracy basically, yeah. um, which is kind of what we have right now, and and so you like that's what you see. Like you said, time and time again, it's just there's an anger without necessarily direction and it gets used for political gain. And, you know, like that's kind of why we really need a, a strong leftist movement and party in this country is because like we need a party. I think it was the biggest. Thing. I think we absolutely. need an actual leftist, but not like DSA, not like those mm-hmm. like because you have a lot of like you have a lot of people who are in these like leftist organizations who don't really have like any actual like political goals. It's more Mm -hmm. like a, it's more, I hate to say it, but it's more like an elite like club almost. Yeah. That's what I was going to use. Yeah. So you need a, you need someone who is more politically minded who are willing to, and unfortunately I hate to say it, but you need someone who's like actually willing to, have a have an aggression towards the current political climate in America, and it's not like this this ag- aggression towards like or like these empty platitudes towards Trump or Pence or whoever. Or like we've gotten that from Pelosi. We can get that from any Democrat. Yeah, we want. you need someone who's angry at the politics of America, not the politicians of America, you know? So I think, and that's the difference between looking at it like structurally and looking at it, you know, through like an aesthetic, aesthetics lens, uh, aesthetic lens, which is, you know, um, uh, what, what is the system that created Trump? And, and for, for that matter, what's the system that created Trump and Hillary and why were those the two options? Right. We need a, we need a, a, a third, we need a third party. That's an actual third party that or should, we need a lot more than three parties but uh that's an actual leftist like threat to the political system and unfortunately i don't think electoralism will ever allow that to happen especially american electoralism but the project itself i feel like is probably a worthy worthy goal yeah i think just just jumping to mo- coming to mind like you could think kind of think about the future happening in two different ways that um a third party could be formed either from like a top-down kind of thing, like someone in power who happens to be a leftist kind of starts leading that movement. Mm-hmm. Or you could see it as a grassroots kind of thing where where we start in the workplace and the home, and that's really where you know we see like a leftist push. And I, I was just thinking today, and this is slightly off topic, but still pertains to like leftist ideas how how come in america we we're very you know propagandized we like we we are constantly bashed over the head about how socialism is wrong 
But um, when it comes to athletes and actors, like they have very powerful unions and they're all like organized. Their labor is very organized and very powerful. Yeah. And then that's, you know, not really talked about by a lot of people that if you try to organize at Home Depot, you're going to get fired and replaced. Yes. But if if you're an actor or someone who's powerful and you have a union, then that's perfectly fine and acceptable and necessary, which, you know, these people, they're employees, but they're making millions, at least minimum hundreds of thousands of dollars most of the time, mm-hmm. especially in the case of athletes. But the person making $15 an hour in a factory is in a much is, more precarious material situation. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, kudos to to the politicians just pacif or the system in general pacifying like the worker into thinking that that's actually a good thing. Like, like the fact that they're not unionized is probably a good thing. Is it? Is it? I don't know. I, th- I think you're right in in saying that it is the system. But is it also the fact that let's just say that we and we do let's just say we live in a hyper like post enlightenment very neoliberal world, right? So is the neo is unions for actors um, full realization of individualism though? Wouldn't that wouldn't you say that because uh, an actor and a or a uh, even a athlete for that matter, even though there's a lot of athletes and a lot of actors, they're very they're very like they're they have like a persona, right? So they have like this this public face of themselves right like there's only one like brad pitt right um even though there's probably a bunch of people that could do that job there's only one like person who we have that's brad pitt and so we see that and we say like that's you know he has a lot of say because his personal his personal power is is greater than the person who makes 15 dollars at the factory so what i'm thinking is that it's kind of ironic in this way but the fact that those jobs make so much money and they're so powerful and they're hyper individualized, then they actually have better bargaining power together than the workers because the workers are highly replaceable. Um, and, and whereas you could, you could make the argument that athletes and actors are highly replaceable, but like in terms of the public, in terms of their like social capital – they're not highly replaceable because if you take if you take a, a I don't know Jennifer Lawrence or something and 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 so, so she has you know so many followers and a lot of people like enjoy her because she's Jennifer Lawrence and she doesn't get the money that she wants on a film she can bitch about it and she does, she has bitched about it and so you, she can change that and then then by by that metric the other actors who or actresses or whoever who are less powerful than than she is also can do that because they're all part of the same union, right? Whereas if you try and start, like you said, if you try and start a union in Home Depot in the factory in Home Depot making fifteen dollars an hour, you're easily replaceable. They, we could get, we could get, and, and I, this is, I'll say this: this is kind of why, like, we need to uh, form, we need to go back to Michael Brooks, and we need to form an international proletarian because the thing is, like because of this like influx of like low skilled or no skilled labor um, of like 
both the system producing, like the system of capitalism producing it uh, and constantly reproducing it. There's there's no there's no number of people who won't do that job, mm. right? And also, let's just say that in America, um, there's let's just say that that's unacceptable, right? I'm not. I'm not working in these shitty conditions for $15 or an hour. Well, they said, whatever, well, we'll get, you know, someone from, uh, insert South American country here. We'll get someone's from insert country here because like capitalism and especially American capitalism has made the world such a shitty place that like anything is better than nothing. And so it lowers the bargaining power of those individuals when people are willing to work for, you know, less money, it's like in, in, Americans included and Americans have been willing to work for less money. So like um, American, well, wh- whatever, like, like naturalized citizens or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, no, I was just, I was just thinking about that today that the, like the conditions in America currently are, are worse than they were in France comparatively, you know, based on percentages. Um, but our government has done such a good job of pacifying people to just accept it. And mm-hmm. I think that that is one of the reasons why, like, is that the left failure though? I think, I think you could say that that's honestly like a left wing failure because what leftist has been in power to like, even, even help, but that shape the, that, you know? but that's the problem is like the leftists can't get in power. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's two, the, the it's two prong, right? It's the, the fact that the system probably won't allow it. But also at the same time, it's that the, that the left has failed its message when you have people who are making $8 an hour, no health care, who will vote for Joe Biden. I think the left has failed those people because we, as like a communist, as a Marxist, I love Zizek. Zizek says that, um, he says he doesn't say he's a communist, he doesn't say he's a socialist anymore because everyone's a socialist. He says I'm a communist. So as a communist, as a Marxist specifically, I think that like the left needs to – honestly, we need to look at what we've been doing for like outreach and why it's failing. I think that's the biggest thing. Like Zizek says this and, and you know, I love me some, some granddaddy Zizek. He says that like there's a part and, – and you're reading the Communist Manifesto right now. So uh, you've read it. It's like um, the, you know, all the philosophers – I don't know if you're at that part. All the philosophers, you know, uh, in the history of the world have like only thought about the world. And the point, however, is to change it. Well, Zizek actually has like this really cool inverse of it. And he's like, well, maybe we tried to change it without thinking about it first. So maybe the philosophers need to start thinking again. And I think that's a pretty good uh, modern point for the left. There would be a good project, which is to to we and we do we the left tends to have this bad thing where it's like we need to think 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 and never act but also like i think we need to think about how we are going to act not every potentiality not like the day after the revolution we need to think about how are we going to get those people who are against left-wing politics because of american indoctrination into the system how are we supposed to get them out of that and i think that like a typical thought process of the left is just to abandon those people and say they're they're worthless and yeah they're um, they're, they're just racists or something. Yeah, just finding an excuse to ignore them or say they don't matter when they make up a huge chunk of the voting base and huge chunk. We're good. We like 
I'm sorry, but we're going to see it happen again in this election that everyone's going to underestimate like the power of that voting block. And and I think we discussed this in an episode a while back, but it's that idea of like who's more motivated, the the never Trumpers, are they more motivated to come out and vote or the forever Trumpers, are they more motivated? So, you know, we keep the media and especially Democrats like to keep thinking that it's a shoo-in for Joe Biden that, man, it's because it literally is, I'm the not Trump candidate. Right. But his base has been, we, we, we look at the poll numbers, we're like, oh, he's, he has shitty polls when you're looking at like a vast majority of the country. But you also have to remember that um, his base has been more galvanized than ever before. And you're seeing these QAnon people like getting into insane conspiracy theories on why we need to vote for Trump. And it's like a religious cult following now. And like things have gotten more galvanized. So is it really going to be enough that he's just not Trump? And I'm not convinced it is. I think that there's a very good chance. I think Biden has a better chance than Hillary, but there's still a good chance that he win like wins reelection that, Mm-hmm. That us com- people complaining about, well, he won't accept the results. It's like he might not have to accept it if he wins because then there's nothing to complain about. And, and I think it's going to uh, – just one second. Mm-hmm. I think it's just going to – it's going to show how um, how people are going to have to start. Like how do we shape the core of America into get, get becoming unindoctrinated? Yeah, I think that is a. I think that's a good question. I was. I was just gonna say that I think the. I think the, the another good question is what is scarier? Is it is it that Trump may not accept the results, or what if Trump does accept the results and it's just Trump? Yeah, right? he just won again. What, what's the what's the what's the scarier outcome? Right. It's it's. You, I, you know, I I'm I'm actually inclined to believe that it's just the Trump. I think the reason Trump's not gonna accept the results until he accepts the results is because he's probably going to win. Yeah. It's, it's, and to me, it's like outside of like a few policy issues there, it doesn't matter whether Biden or Trump win. Because Not at all. The people, the people backing, like are back, the, the corporations are backing both. Like they don't, they would be more of a threat if Bernie was the candidate than than Biden. Like, yeah, and and you see also that uh, I mean, a lot of the people who are who were more pro Biden than Bernie were saying that we need Biden regard like we need whoever it's like the vote blue no matter who crowd. Were because you know R R B G is gonna fucking croak from the twelfth time getting cancer or whatever, and it's like, well, I mean, you can see like her voting. Hasn't really ref- it doesn't matter like her her she hasn't been a factor in terms of like Supreme Court cases like that's the thing like her her voting record here recently has been like honestly if Trump was reelected and he put in another judge it'd probably be the exact same Supreme Court honestly like I mean you see the there's a couple of like swing Republicans on the Supreme Court who have been like they've been people have been surprised that they've like you know, voted the way they did. But but then RBG's like, nah, the Dakota Access Pipeline, like, that's fine. Like, you know, and that's the thing, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, like, material reality is that there is very 
there's very little difference between a Republican, especially a Republican like Joe Biden or a Republican. Yeah, there you go. Freudian slip. Yeah. A Democrat like Joe Biden and, and the Republican. It's a difference without distinction. When are we going to stop idolizing these people and start looking at actual policy? And, and, and instead of like watching Hamilton for the 20th time, yeah. we're going to actually like stop. Like look at well, actually Hamilton was like pretty fucked up guy and asshole and terrible person and not a good guy, and so was Lin Manuel Miranda for that matter. Yeah, um, right. But so when are we gonna stop like praising aesthetics and start um, championing like actual actual progress? So I don't know, man. A lot of questions to be answered. Lots of stuff to to mull about. Um, Kind of weird week as far as news goes because not I feel like not a lot's happening. But I think to your point earlier, it's just because it's not being reported about. Like there is a lot of stuff going on. There's all these protests going on. Like I saw a video of the L.A. protests that are still going on. It's they just massive I mean, crowds, but it's they just, don't matter politically, right? Mm. I mean, that's honestly, and I think it's I think there's two two things. I think one is that the the news is covering it up, but I I I do think that like one of the biggest failings of the protests haven't been because the, the, the political goal of the protest itself is noble but the political action of the protest isn't right because mm. um, I mean protests don't work I mean we've, we've noticed this like 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 uh, uh, I mean protests that you're talking about like peaceful marching peaceful marching mm. and, and shouting doesn't work I mean you've obviously seen it like it's not a threat to power yeah we need to we need to seriously analyze and look at what is actually a threat to power and start doing that or we need to we need to try and work within the system, which I, I think current is probably a failed project. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> but well, anyway, uh, go ahead and join us next week. Well, I think we'll have Cole back. Maybe we'll have a guest. We'll see. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Also, um, before we sign off here, though, I did want to say one more thing. But that is the the lead the left to us. I'll officially say the 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 podcast stance is a fuck Michael Tracy and his stupid ass. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, guys, we'll see you next week. See you then.